Welcome to another episode of Hobby Night in Canada. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Steve. Mike. And I'm Dan. Okay, the astute listener will notice that Ward is not with us today. So we're going to be talking about painting models, which is something that he's not doing ever. You hear that, Ward? That's a <laughs> snub against you. It was subtle, so you may have missed that. <laughs> uh, so in today's episode, we're going to go over the, some of the New York models that we've seen, which are pretty fantastic. In Coach's Corner, we're going to be talking about some of the ways that you go about choosing armies that you have to paint on a deadline, either for a tournament or for a painting bet. Like the one that we're currently in with John Wong, if anybody does not know about. And in Hobby Break, we're going to talk about one of our favorite ideas, which is tactical painting. So let's start off with the Orc models. The New Orc releases... To me, I've never been a huge orc fan, but I like them. They are very orky, which is all you can ask for in an orc model. Uh, the biggest one that everybody's talking about is the Gorkonaut and Warkonaut, which is basically a baby Stompa. Yeah, that's definitely the biggest one, that's for sure. But I'm <laughs> uh, I'm liking the fact that it is not full-on super heavy cost-wise. It's, uh, it's, what, like 30 or 40 bucks, something like that, cheaper than... Research. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, well, I don't think... Have they... Oh, no, they I thought it was the same... Price. It was yeah. the same price as the Knight, isn't it? No. No, it's cheaper. Yay! I think it's the same cost as a... So, you say yay. I think it's the same cost as a Wraith Knight, which is 140 Yeah, I think it's around... I think it's like 140 <laughs> not like 180 or whatever the hell we were we paid for our, Wraith, our Knights. Yeah, they were... Uh, knights, I think, retail 177 So, they're about 30 bucks cheaper, which is cool because it is... It is a very orky model. I mean, one of the things GW is kind of, I think, pissing off some of the older players with is jumping away from the fluff. Like, where did the Gorkonaut and Morkonaut come from? But it's, it's orcs. orcs. Okay, yeah, <laughs> honestly, I'm going to say as a long-standing orc player, fuck that, it's cool. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Fair enough, I'll give you that. And they do have one in a bad moon color scheme, which totally brings me back to my second Ed rulebook, so I'm cool with it. Such a psychotically bright yellow. Oh, I love it. Uh, they've also got the new, or I guess leaked pictures of the uh, big guns. Yeah, and those things. It's actually nice because they've called them big guns for as long as I've been playing orcs, but they've always been really tiny models. Yes, they've been kind <laughs> of but, hilariously small. Well, tell us how many big guns you have. Don't you have nine? The full choices? Uh, no, I don't have the lobas because they were always useless. Oh, I've got the cannons okay. and the zap guns. Oh, that's right. So you when you had... Okay, anyways... You're, I guess you now have the option of four choices for armament, so there's some sort of Skyfire type thing. Uh, and I could just take anything I wanted ever, because, you know, 40k. I see what you're getting at there. Yeah, right? you can. You can yeah. do whatever you want, apparently. <laughs> I could take 18 choices of each. It'd be great. Yeah. Well, uh, you still got to play within the points limit. Fuck it. It's Games Workshop. <laughs> That's like uh, the only rule that still applies. Or guns, I'm sure you could take 18. Well, they each. traditionally were super cheap. I think yeah. they're around 30 or 40 points each. Yeah, they might be up from that now. And artillery is so ungodly good. If they are point cost appropriate, you will see lots of them. What, they weren't good when it was like a single glancing hit kills them automatically? Yeah, they were pretty bad. <laughs> Especially when you have a Gretchen crew, which is just Hey, like, hey, woo. hey, do that not makes them better. talk the Gretchen. That makes them ballistic skill 3. It's actually better. <laughs> That's true. Uh, the other models that are coming out are the, uh, Ludas, and there's a no, couple. No, Ludas are already out, it's the Flash Gits. Okay, well we haven't talked about the Ludas yet, have we? Ludas, the have, Ludas been have been out for like five for... years. Yeah. 
No, the Flash gets, sorry, Flash gets, yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you know that thing that I said yeah, when yeah, you yeah. were wrong yeah, and yeah. I was right? Yeah. Anyways, point is they have plasma guns, it looks like, and it's cool looking gun. Well, they're more of a custom weapon. I don't know exactly what they're going to be like. I believe they're they called snaz guns, and they are <laughs> That's AP, so awesome. And they're APD6, same as some of the older rules. So That's exactly like a homunculus. Super reliable orc technology at its finest. And they have combat stats on a shooting model. Yeah, the advantage of having knob profile like stats that you have to pay for when you have guns. Uh, I see what you're saying. It's kind of awesome. So it's funny you <laughs> say Ludas because everyone's just going to take Ludas instead. Because they always have and they always will. But these Fair models enough. are gorgeous. Yeah, I really like the like. Uh, it looks like see they look like Ludas because it looks like they've stolen a plasma gun from an Imperial and turned into Orca. See, these are the guys that were kicked out of the other clans for being too completely ridiculous. Like these are actually the guys who are. Basically blowing all the clan's resources on completely over-the-top, insane technology. That's why they get kicked out. So, so they become they become like mercenaries and pirates. And which is why they all have pirate hats. Or not, if they don't all have them, you should put the pirate hats on all of them. Gotcha. I still don't fail to understand the distinction between a Luda and a Flash Git. Well, a Flash Git's <laughs> like a knob with a shittier gun. And a Luda is a heavy support choice instead of an, an Elite that has a better gun for fewer points. So it's clearly a rules thing, and that's it. No, from a fluff standpoint, the loot. Okay, from a fluff standpoint, the looters are the guys that are going to the Imperium and stealing their stuff. Gotcha. So they're all brandishing heavy bolters and auto cannons and some semblance of strapped together items. But you see what I'm saying though, because they clearly have a plasma gun strapped to them that's stolen from an Imperial on the new. One flash of them, guns. one of them, his snaz gun. Yeah, it seems to have like plasma yeah. coils and, and that you know, sort of a thing. The thing is, I actually really like that model. I think his gun is the coolest of the group. So. Yeah, Anyways, yeah, he's true. definitely pretty solid. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think these are the ones that are custom ordering from all the mech boys mm. and just completely draining their tribe's resources That's doing so. Cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking of mech boys, there's the new shock attack gun. Which looks like a... It reminds me of the old one entirely where it's got the three spinning orbs on the end of it. But like all the GW stuff, they've added those new sort of smoke effects or lightning effects to it. And like the old look, Skaven like yeah. warp. Yeah, warp stone things on like the screaming bell, which I think is a really cool thing from a modeling standpoint. But from a painting standpoint, if you're a beginner and you want to put together a shock attack gun, that's going to be tough. I don't know. Like at the end of the day, if you just add some decent contrast, then it'll be fine. I'm a little bit disappointed because it really seems to me like it's a plastic version of the old one. And well, that's, that's it is. It, did you put together any of the old ones? Yes. So isn't that a really good selling feature? <laughs> right. Okay, true. But it's every once in a while you wouldn't mind a little bit of a different design to the model. Like I'd say it's pretty different. It's got those like it's it's a crazy. It's got glowy weapon. shit on the front. It looks. It's the same I'd model. say it looks very similar to the old one, but instead of being like a the giant brick of model, or God forbid, fine cast, it'll actually true. go together. It'll assemble. Yeah, that, that model did that. It was guaranteed at least an hour of green stuff to make that model work. Yeah, it was it was pretty atrocious before. All right, so we've got those guys covered. There's uh, the Mega Knobs, too, that are coming out. Yeah, I think they've only been shown in, like, yeah. scraps of some of the, like, photos in the background sort of a thing, but they look good. They look like a proper plastic version of the metal Mega Knobs, which were never a bad design, just like miniature Gasgulls. I mean, I who really wouldn't like Yeah, anyway. they held up, what, a good 10, 10 years of that current incarnation? Yeah, like, they were never they quite... They were Armageddon in... releases? Yeah, yeah, I think so. They yeah, came out right. at the same time as Gasgull. They were just yeah. smaller versions of him, right? But... Yeah, those guys properly scaled and bulked up a little bit and uh, multi-part. I mean, yeah. You can't really go wrong. I mean, they look, from the few small little leaked pictures, we're kind of a little bit ahead of ourselves. We're talking orcs. We'll go through all the leaked stuff, too, a little bit. Uh, they look like a proper mega knob. They're bulky. They've got tons of armor plates. 
and they look like they don't move so good. So <laughs> no, they I'm look cool amazingly yeah. unable to actually have any. <laughs> it's kind of like at the gym. There's that guy that just works out his few muscles all the time, and yeah. when he tries, he has to, zero. He can't even open his locker. His arm doesn't even go that far. Out. Yeah, <laughs> wants to drink from his water bottle. No chance. Camelbacks. They were invented for those guys. <laughs> I'm sure, that's exactly <laughs> what they were for. Uh, but they've got those coming out, and then you apparently have seen some pictures of some trucks. Well, it maybe. looks like a buggy. It's in the background of one picture, and it looks awesome. Because it, it has a very similar design to the <laughs> old, like, early third ed one, so, but it just looks nicer. And yeah. Mike is going to buy them all. Yeah, I think Mike has, no. been, Mike has been silent so far because he's been fighting the urge to whip out his credit card and just start throwing it at the internet and hoping orcs come in the mail the next day. <laughs> I love that mental image. <laughs> Just, like, hitting his phone with his credit card, trying to make it work. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, Yeah, no, it's so much. If if the new trucks follow the aesthetic of what they're doing right now, I think it's going to be an awesome The buggies, yeah, the buggies are already out. Again, trucks and Ludas have been out for an extended period of time. I don't know my orcs. They all look the same to me. And that is a racist snub against orcs. (laughs) Just because they're all green. We can't, Dan. That is not appropriate. It's because it's fantasy. We can't yeah. talk about it because it's fantasy, not forty k. That's clearly moving what I was on. To. Okay, so I think okay. I was in a I was in a corner and I didn't know what to say. So a really good segue into our coach's corner is getting back and talking about what we're working on this last week because we are part of that painting challenge with John Wong. Yeah, which I think we're already two armies behind. It sounds like. Well, Ooh, one of them was half painted first. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Anyways, I think we're already losing quite handily. So, Steve, uh, what are you working on right now? Well, I, I unfortunately, or fortunately, depending how you look at it, if you're Tom, got uh, picked up all of my Convergence of Cirrus stuff that I really need. You're saying it wrong. Convergence of Cyrus? No. No. Do you want Kyrus? to see the uh, no. abbreviation? Acronym. Acronym. Oh! You I, only ever refer to them by the name of cock. Oh, yeah. The Convergence of Cyrus or cock. Anyways, uh, I got all my models, and I started painting them psychedelic orange and pink. Which I know you're really happy about, <laughs> but I think most War Machine models are silly and ridiculous, so they're getting a silly and ridiculous paint job. Okay, Mike, what about you? I have been uh, going hard on Malifaux stuff right now. I th- what game? Uh, actually, I got three going at the same time. I've got um, uh, Nicodem going, I've got Perdita going, I've got uh, Marcus, no, not Marcus, Ramos uh, going, and I am actually painting the uh, Ten Thunder stuff as well. You're actually going to get them done. Yeah, I like the Ten Thunders. Nice. Yeah, I don't think painting three or four armies at a time is enough. We should probably get you going there. <sighs> Keep in mind. <laughs> Seriously, you need to paint more, though. Okay. <laughs> right, yeah, but they're not armies. It's a gang, so it's basically a squad of Space Marines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. That kind we're, of makes my trouble. point more aggressively. Yeah. Yeah. Let's step it up. Got to get at least like 80 right. different projects. He, although he's going. definitely painting more models than I am right now. Okay. Well, we'll go around the table. We'll get to you. Dan, what have you been working on? Um, I've been working on starting a whole bunch of different things, as always. Um, I've actually got, like, an insane amount of stuff on the go right now. I've got, I did a couple hours worth of work on my Raven Guard Scouts, and a couple hours of work on my Chapter Master for the Raven Guard, and a little bit of prep work, got the Predator finally all etched brassed up and ready to go, and he's primed and everything. And, uh, then, yeah, my Battletech starter set came, and I've got about 20 models that are terribly painted. Um, airbrushing in the dark is not the way to go. 
Okay, but, but I don't um, really care because you're putting <laughs> points on the board right now. And... No, he's putting points on the board when they get done. Right now, there they're, are no points on the they're board. They're close. They, they're, they're looking like I painted yeah. them when I was 12. Yeah. I'm but, not looking uh, they're so getting bad there. now, am I? No, we're, we're okay. We're, those will be done in a couple of days. And I didn't. And uh, there's the steam tank that was is slowly trundling along and getting closer to done, too. So that'll be another like five points. Cool. Tom, what have you been working on? Well, I got some base coats done on some boom howlers for my mercs. Cool. And then I finally put together and got the base coats on my Earthbreaker for the, the Rulix. Nice. So, I think we should go through and do our tally of completed points. I'm at a zero. Mike? Ah, uh, yeah. Zero? Dan? Yeah, zero. And a whopping zero for me. So right now, despite the snub earlier, Ward, hopefully you have some points done. <laughs> Please paint some models. I know you're at work right now, but I really wish you were at home painting. <laughs> um, okay, so, let's talk a little bit now. We'll go on to our coach's corner. And how do you approach picking up and thinking about what models you're going to get for an army you've got to get on a time crunch instead of one that you're having a little bit more time to do? So I just ran across this with my convergence. I refuse to call it cock because I feel like that's... It's missing the K. It's missing I just the K. want you to say it. Okay, so when I was painting my cock... Yes. Uh, there, you happy now? I'm so okay. excited by this. Good. Uh, no, when I picked up the convergence army, the first thing that I did is since I... I don't like a lot of War Machine models like we were talking about, so I went for the models that I didn't despise, and I came across the Aurora tier list, and from there, after I sort of had an idea of, okay, I like the Clockwork Angels, they're going to be a mainstay of the army, then I went and hit the internet. And that's usually what I do with a lot of projects that are for a tournament, is I need to know, A, how can I make sure I spend as little money as possible, because everybody knows this hobby is ridiculously expensive. Although now that you're moving out of Games Workshop, it gets a lot cheaper. It does. <laughs> it does. Um, but I still wanted to, you know, make sure I got units that were not completely useless for the yeah. list that I was running. So I went and hit the Privateer Press forums, some blogs, and from there, then I put together sort of a, a starting 35-point uh, list that I also didn't have a crazy high model count and that I could paint relatively quickly with a decent color scheme. And that's sort of the way I usually approach things is hit the internet, get the models I like, and come up with a color scheme for those models. Okay. How about you, Mike? Um, I kind of go along the same thing except for first my first order of business is I have to like the models. Mm -hmm. If I don't like the models, you know what? I'm not even going to buy the army because I'm not going to have any motivation to paint it. Once I've got something that I like, I'll pick up. Uh, well, I hate to do this, but I'll go with Games Workshop terms. I'm going to pick up a, an HQ, I'm going to pick up a Troops, and I'm going to pick up a large model. The reason why I'll do this is because if I get tired of painting the HQ, I can move on to a Troop. If I'm tired of painting Troops, I can move on to a larger model. This way, at any point in time, if I don't feel like painting one thing, I feel like painting something else, so it keeps me painting at a steady pace. It doesn't get stagnant. It doesn't yeah. get stagnant. And do you find this gives you a good sense of how your color scheme is going to be working Absolutely. relatively quickly? Well, relatively quickly, but to be honest, I always pick one troop. I'll do the, the base color scheme on him, and if I like it, great. If not, it's in the garbage. I pick up another one, and I go at it again until I find something I like, and it doesn't go... Any further until I finish that stuff. Right, but you'll also see how it translates to yeah, the large absolutely. models and that kind of stuff yeah. as well. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. I can definitely sympathize with that as well. Because when I'm working on armies, I mean, let's face it, the 30th Tactical Marine, to use the GW example, isn't as fun as the first one. No. But uh, if you do have something to break it up, like, again, a character model, a centerpiece model, or like a Dreadnought or something like that. Dreadnoughts for me are always something... 
that are kind of fun to break up projects that I'm not really enjoying working well, on. They're so different because they're not a tank and they're not an infantryman. I like, I do, I know what you mean. Dreadnoughts are cool, especially the Forge World ones, like the Contemptors yeah. and uh, the chapter specific ones. Or they even are the chaos ones. Yeah, yeah. There's, I was just my my head like popped into some of the ugly chaos ones, but no, there's actually some really good ones too, like the Nurgle Iron Warriors, as you well know. And uh, the Contemptors, that sort of a thing. There's definitely some really good options there, mm -hmm. and they break things up. But anyway, were you done? I, yeah. I wasn't paying that much attention. <laughs> wow. Wow. I get, oh, I get excited, and I don't notice what other people are doing. And okay, I just Dan, hijack. what do you have to say, dick? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for starters, for me, a lot of the time, because um, my tastes do you know, tend towards a lot of the Forge World stuff, a lot of the fancy bases. So a lot of times... Um, I kind of get a rough idea for what I need for things that'll take a long time to get here first and then try to order those. And then mm. with that sort of a time, like purchasing you know, you can... constraints. Yes. Cause the, the buy models phase is definitely my favorite part. So that's what I start with. I buy all <laughs> the expensive things first that uh, require like mail order. And then um, the other stuff like tactical Marines or whatever equivalents, like this standard stuff you can buy off the shelf. Then you can grab that while you're waiting for the other stuff. And the other stuff, when it comes, it's kind of like reward for, any boring crap that you're starting with. Yeah, don't be like me and order bases from Eastern Europe and expect them to get there in two months before a tournament, because they may not. Although, to be fair, two months is pretty... Like, they should have come. And there. also, yeah. they did come to the store, and apparently we just... You never knew they came to the store. They you also missed, were you not missed a face. You missed a Facebook message, and they sat forever. They were, they were <laughs> definitely not in time for... They came, like, two days before the tournament. So... That's lots of time for bases. When you have to insert them into other bases due to the fact that knights don't have aftermarket bases yet, it's tough. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and, oh, fair uh, enough. Yeah, so I guess that's really where I start is again start with the start with the stuff that's going to take the longest to get here, purchase that, and then just start pounding out things that are going to end up being for sure in your army and kind of take it from there. Yep. Makes sense to me. Yeah. And there's also generally about 80% of the time before a tournament uh, should probably be spent procrastinating. So yeah, that way, oh yeah, that's so yeah, that that's way standard. you're incredibly motivated for the last two weeks. It's amazing what you can get done. Yeah, when yeah. that terror is going through your brain when you're working and you only sleeping. You know what? I, I want to disagree night. on that though because I've seen so many people tear through the last week and kill themselves that I actually try my best to be done. Two that's because you're weird. Before and then Dan I said joking and I was close <laughs> yes. and yeah. do at these people. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the for me part of the tournament experience is like painting in your hotel room before the day or something like that. It is so much fun my to be favorite, doing stuff like that. One of my favorite <laughs> tournament experiences. Um, this actually wasn't the grand tournament, but it was going down to Cal. <laughs> it was a tournament in Calgary, and our buddy Nathan and uh, and I went to go pick up this other friend of ours who'd been painting. Uh, Aaron had been painting all night. And the way his house was set up, his front door was right beside the window into his bedroom. And we, like, ring the doorbell four or five times, and then there's nothing happening, and all of a sudden, this figure slams against the window, and he just starts freaking out at us, because he actually did not sleep. So Whoa. just full-on sleep-deprived maniac. That's awesome. And I don't he wasn't even done yet, because he, he slept in the car <laughs> on the way down, and then immediately went to the hotel and started painting. That's you shouldn't do that. That's bad <laughs> for your health. Like, don't do that. Right. Anyways, I'm kind of impressed. That is yeah, ridiculous, it, and it was a hilarious thing to see. All right. right. I actually stayed up till four in the morning painting before an event that I was helping to run. I wasn't even playing, but just to like get in the spirit of the tournament, I stayed up till four frantically speed painting models for no reason. I'll wow. give you dedication, but something I would not do. 
yeah, it was, it was fun. It was maybe my not not my best decision ever, but it was really enjoyable. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Tom, how about you? What do you do when you're picking a new army? Well, much like you guys, I got to find something that really grabs my my attention. It's got to be models that I want to paint because there's nothing worse than forcing yourself through painting models you don't even like. Mm-hmm. And it's why I've never been able to finish uh, a, a loyalist Space Marine army because I just can't paint Space Marines. I can't do it. They just That's bore fair. me so much. But what it comes down to for me is, much like Michael I'm, Ryan, I'm putting on a sad face. You can't see it. Dan only paints Loyalist Space Marines, so there's a... So I don't need to. He paints it up for both... Well, he would if he painted more. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but I have an approach very similar to Mike, where I try and have it where I can break things up and switch back and forth between models. But I really do try and push through the projects. Like, you get you do one project that you're really excited to paint, and then you just try and push through as many that it just have to get done for the project that you don't want to paint as much and when you as soon as you're just at your wits end switch to the projects that like the models that got you into the army so for me with my uh, mercenaries it's the rulic jacks i love the crap out of those models they're what got me really back into war machine after i gave up on trolls and cricks gotcha so right now working on the earthbreaker is fantastic cuz it's a really really big one okay uh, I don't know the model you're talking about because I'm super new to the game, so I will nod and smile. It's that like weird-looking, <laughs> massive, crabby one. I never mind. It's the big industrial yellow uh, colossal. Okay. Then, if you <laughs> ever went on Facebook, the work in progress is currently on our Facebook page. Oh, nice! Right on. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the moral of the story is that Steve, you should probably use Facebook more than once mm, a year. Yeah, yeah, probably. That would be a good idea. Uh, I was going to ask, how do you guys get through painting models that you don't want to paint when you have a deadline? And you're clearly putting those models off because you've got you've got to finish a whole bunch of stuff, but you also have to finish the one you know the troops. The number one trick I can recommend that never fails is paint with friends. Mm, that's a good one. I like, like that. the number of times that we get we just kind of churned out tournament armies, hanging out, watching Lord of the Rings for the twentieth time that day, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, just working on those models, just getting through those base coats. Because as soon as you get through the base coats, everything else kind of just falls together, right? Yeah. And if if you can do that while hanging out with people, and it's kind of I'd like to take the term from people that sew is the stitch and bitch. I have never heard of that. What? <laughs> You've never heard of a stitch and bitch before? No. No, I don't sew. Well, it's just basically. A bunch of, and this is probably horribly um, stereotypical, but... The we, st- we can't say that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but the stitch and bitch would be a bunch of ladies getting together and sewing and gossiping and just bitching about stuff while they're sewing. All right, I think we should come up with a term for this. The paint and... Faint? I don't know, that's what runs terrible. with paint? Well, taint does, but that doesn't really apply. The paint and taint. <laughs> That's the only thing. We're a nice paint and taint. <laughs> it's the only thing I was uh, thinking of, and I didn't want to say it. I've said enough horrible things already. The fleshy fun bridge. <laughs> Sorry. What the hell? Was cards that? against wow. humanity. Yeah, we're quoting a board game, so we're still on topic. How many pucks for cards against humanity? Ten. Yeah, 10, ten out of five. Hundred out of five. Okay. Oh, whatever. but only if you get the bigger blacker box. That's a good one too. <laughs> that is a good one too. Uh, anyways, back on topic. Mike, you already told us that you were spicing up by uh, the boring painting with the large models and HQ, that kind of thing. Yep. Any other ideas that you have? Uh, if it's something I really terribly don't like, then I make it of 
it's sort of like if you can get through five of these terrible models, I'll let you paint one of these really nice ones. The reward system. The reward yep, system, I like right? That. And that's that's another way of doing it too. But usually, um, it's not too bad for me. I did like if I like a range, it's because I like ninety nine percent of it, so it's not super hard. But there are times where yes, yep. it's. I like gotta your do five. Plan rats? Yeah, it's like okay, do five more rats, and you can do a storm vermin. Okay, you can do this. I like that. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> Nobody tell them that storm vermin are also rats. <laughs> <laughs> what? They are literally okay. Having painted a lot of those models, they are much better and more exciting. Yes. There's metal parts on them that are you can paint. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Not just kind of furry and kind of smooth and awkward. It's like puberty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, hobby break. <laughs> What, yeah, I don't get a turn now just because <laughs> you lost your turn, oh, Dan. Well, I do have one last question. Where do you guys, when you're picking an army for these things, do you have a particular source for uh, like list building or that kind of thing? Uh, do you just go with models that you like? Because a lot of times that's not going to be a good tournament list. Well, here's the thing. There was a long time where I didn't win tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're saying you just bought whatever you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> really, <laughs> and what ended up happening? Awesome. Like, I'll I'll use my savage orcs as an example. Um, I got them, and I just kind of went with the models that I was really happy with. And then over time, because I stuck with that army, it eventually became an army that I was very competitive with and did win a few events. Mm -hmm. But at the onset, just to get it painted so I could play with my toy soldiers with friends out in public, it didn't really matter. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's like my right? Camry. I bought the models that I liked for my Camry, and they're bad. <laughs> they're really bad. <laughs> Uh, I will blame the list on that one, because it's a pretty shoddy list. Yeah, and it's Steve. It's me, that's what I do. And Kemri does definitely have that history of being, like, they definitely have some units that it's just like, why would you take these, aside from the fact that the models are cool? Ooh, Shopti. Yeah. Shopti is so cool. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of power gamer lists for Kemri, we'll put it that yeah, way. Exactly. As much as I love Kemri, they're, they're not really number one on your list for tournament power rankings. So how about you, Dan? How do you decide on your list that you're after? Oh, well, generally a lot of the time, um, because I'm always just painting Space Marines, so like the, <laughs> at least before the Centurions came out, it was never an issue if I don't want to paint that model, because they're most, all Space Marines. Most other Space Marines are kind of nice, but, but yeah, for, I don't know. Um, part of it is a balance of um, just what can I get done quickly. Hmm. Like when I was doing um, like Warriors of Chaos way back in the day, because I've I've actually done that army for two different tournaments using virtually no models in common each time. And that seems smart. Yeah, again, good planning, but um, no, to get... <laughs> to and get, are any of them fully done? There's... Some of them got broken. They don't count. But yeah, there's there's handfuls of units here or there. The knights are done. The hell cannon's done. Some of the characters are done. The marauder horsemen never got done. They were definitely in there to like fill my minimum troop units... Or sorry, minimum core requirements back when it was choices, not percentage. Yeah. So I had to take a bunch of core units, so they were all units of five Marauder Horsemen with flails. Nice. And the, again, the first five were kind of neat, and then the other 15 were kind of, you know, not so enjoyable. So what did you decide, how, what do you, how did you decide to put those units in the, in the list? Was it strictly just you liked the other models and um, had to have Marauders? <laughs> well, the Marauders in that case served multiple purposes of, A, they, they filled up the, you know, the core requirements without using a lot of models. Mm -hmm. So it was something that I, you know, I, I liked the, the plastic Marauder Horsemen. Uh, they had, at the time they were brand new, they had replaced the like pretty shoddy metal ones. Yep. So I, I actually quite liked the model. I didn't have to paint that many of them. 
and it would also allow me the points to add all the other fun stuff to the army. Like, So it was yourself going through the army book deciding, this is what I want to do because these are the models I have and I like the other ones. Kind of yeah, it was, it, was definitely, it was definitely pretty strategic choices of taking units that they were good, like they were in no way a liability, but they were just filling up the minimum requirements and allowing me to cram in all the things I actually wanted to paint. So, Mike, how do you decide the list for your armies? Like, for your uh, Malifaux gang, for example. Well, you know what? That's a bad choice because I'm still learning that. And I end up asking... The first thing I'll do is I'll ask a lot of questions to people who are actually playing said gang or said army. I will say, is this... Is that how does this work? or friends? No, actually, it's friends. If it's like, uh, for That's example... Good. You are old. When I... Oh, <laughs> he learned to type. No, he, no, seriously, he learned to type last year. I saw yeah. the certificate. That's what I was actually trying to get at, though. Is you laugh, but I actually had to take typing in high school. That was actually a course. <laughs> yeah, and then we did it all in junior high. Yeah, yeah I decided to talk to you anymore. I don't want to talk... Mavis Beacon teaches typing. Remember that one? I remember that. Yeah, for me, it was all the right type. That's awesome. So you're saying your best option is talking with friends after games. For example, when I got into my Skaven... I came and I talked to you and I said, how does this work? What is this like in the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. How do you work with this? Is this a good unit? Is this? And you know what? I asked you a bunch of questions. Now, I didn't let everything you say influence what I bought. Good choice. But yeah. between that and what I liked and what I wanted to paint is how that whole army came together. Cool. So it's a little bit of everything, right? It's No, totally. That makes sense. And, and that's how I go about doing it. It's... it's Roughly talking to people, I find that the internet is too cold in a lot of respects for this. Well, yeah, and asking also, questions, you'll get that while well, you're a dumbass. You should have known that already. And it's like, well, actually, I don't because that's why I'm asking. Uh, but it doesn't matter anyways. Yeah. And I, okay. the other thing about the the forum thing that I also, I like and I dislike is you can you can search them rather quickly. But when you ask a question, you can't have a conversation. No. You can ask, like, do you think this list is good? And you might get a response of yes or no. There's no feedback. Whereas if you have a conversation with people that play the list, maybe even your local area, you can get a really you can get pointed on the right track to buying the the stuff that you need and like. And one thing I've always found with a lot of the internet discussions too, I mean, it's not always the case. Every community is a little different, but for some, the people who are asking questions and you know they don't know a lot about about the topic, they a lot of the times get fewer responses than somebody who is talking and has like a really good list that they're talking about like. Yeah, yeah, you know, totally. So sometimes people don't really take your stuff seriously if you're asking questions and you don't really know yet. Sometimes they just gravitate towards... They just tell you to take a net list because it's going to Yeah, that's why the internet is so cold and you should talk to friends. <laughs> yeah, but it's a life lesson. Talk to people in person. Thanks, old Mike. Yeah. <laughs> that, that or just find some of the smaller, more spec- like specific communities. Like um, some of the sites that are specific to... Yeah, like the... Specific to X-Wing or specific to what else? Like there's the Azrai forum. Yeah, there's org, Dark yeah. Eldar. They have the Dark City or Kimura.net or something like that. I can't remember. And then there's of, Dawag for orcs. Oh, really? I didn't know there was an orc one. I can tell you how much I care about orcs that's awesome <laughs> but yeah because if you go Good into a lot of these, players you, you just got the snubbed again Tob, if you missed that you got snubbed uh, <laughs> okay no. there we go okay but yeah the more general forums a lot of the times you, you get a whole bunch of random people you get that big spread but if you go to the specific forums it's people that are you know very specifically they play your army they're enthusiastic about the same things you are you might be a little bit more likely to get like a really helpful post as a beginner rather than somebody else who's like looking for tactics themselves not so much looking to answer questions that's a good point i like that one and another good thing too is if you are going to be playtesting your army while you go is it is nice to work on the troops 
if possible first that you know you're going to include. Yeah. Like if you're if you're building totally. an orc army, building a bunch and painting a bunch of orc boys first, if you can get through that, great. As well, you know you're going to use them. So the other thing I was going to say, when you're working on an army for a deadline and you're trying to get to a tournament, a lot of us try and get in tournament prep. Proxying is a thing that you can and should do, but should minimize it because there's not much fun playing with the Coke can as a card effects. It's a lot better to have the actual model, but you know what? Maybe you're deciding whether you're going to take one or three. Proxy. That's a great time to do it. I think that's uh, also a good way to decide whether or not, while you're painting other stuff, whether or not you should buy that Carnifex and assemble it kind of thing. Yeah, because if you're working on a timeline, you have limited funds, you have limited hours to actually build and paint. Proxying is definitely a lot more forgivable if it's once in a while for a specific person like that, or purpose. Yeah, amongst friends in a basement... That's what I was going to say. Make sure you're friends with these people and they know that you're proxying. Don't walk into a store with a bunch of Coke cans and a couple of guys yeah. and think it's going to be okay. Yeah, they may not. They, some people might be totally cool with that and other old farts might be pretty upset. Yeah, and like it's, it's, it comes <laughs> really? back to the same thing. Oh, actually, me, I actually <laughs> despise uh, proxying. And if anybody came into a tournament with a proxy model, I would probably lose my mind because you're going to spend all that time working on a model on your own stuff, painting it up to a standard to get it to a tournament, and then somebody brings in, I don't know, a deodorant rhino, a deodorant stick rhino. Well, even then, there okay. was that, what was that, the one guard army that was Skaven models with Lego bits one year? What? <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, it made very little sense. Well, I've seen, the other one that I also think is borderline is I've seen, uh, actually at the Las Vegas Open, there was a very high-placing guard army that had uh, the entire crew for all nine thud guns it took were skeletons. Oh. It's like, I, it's not a proxy, and you're kind of going with theme point there, but yeah, I don't know about that. Was it an undead guard army? No, just the he needed crew. It was just, I have these models painted yeah. from a different army. I'm going to put them on the table. Power gaming kind of situation. Oh, it was a, it was a really good list. It was not, I don't think it would have been fun. So you plays. know who you are. Don't do that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, anything else to say, or can we move on to hobby? Break? I think we can move on. I think we covered that one pretty darn good. Okay, well, Ward's favorite uh, segment, Hobby Break. Hobby this Break! This time, without Ward. <laughs> I, tried, I tried to fill in for you, Ward. You did it probably better. Maybe. <laughs> you know, it really is a painting podcast this time. And right! Ward doesn't really paint, right? You know, when it's just him and none of us are around, he can talk about cleaning models as long as he wants. And you know what? I'll admit, he, that's his specialty. He cleans models like nobody. It's actually... Like, that's a superpower, which is pretty lame, but for sure a superpower. I think it's more of a mental disorder. Uh, well, you know, half dozen to one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, then. So, we're going to get into an idea that we've actually been uh, talking about behind the scenes for a little while now, which is tactical painting. So, to us, tactical painting is finding a way to minimize the effort and time that goes into models without compromising the aesthetic of them. Yeah, it's sort of a, a effort versus expenditure thing. Yeah. And it, you can really, with tactical painting, um, actually achieve some amazing results for uh, very little investment. And for a good example of that would be, I think, the Necron army that you're working on. Yeah. And <laughs> It would be. Because <laughs> that's, that's what we kind of developed this idea. I mean, a lot of people have had speed painting and that kind of mentality. But we really wanted to talk about a way to use techniques that uh, still turned out really good-looking models. Yeah, it's not about painting fast as and trying to speed up your, your individual processes. It's more about finding ways to minimize how many different things you're doing and maximizing how much time you can spend on each one. 
And I think the first thing that we kind of realized is the color scheme is absolutely imperative to the army for whatever techniques you're going to apply on top of that. So the first thing you need to do is really do uh, a, spend a lot of time thinking about the particular color scheme that you're after. And what did you pick for your, your Necrons? I'm going to keep using them as example because they, they're totally a poster child for this. Well, we spitballed this a lot, and um, I think it was Dan that mentioned the idea of really going for trying to make the contrast between the two main colors, which is a really dark metal for the actual bodies, and then a white shoulder pad, kind of being what has more contrast than black and white. Yeah. So and the, so we got, with those models, with the dark metallic and the white shoulder pads, you really get that. And then there's the one kind of accent color, which is the red for the OSL on all of their weapons and spines and that kind of thing, which really adds a bright pop to all the models. As well. Yeah, and that's one of the other things about tactical painting, too, is you want to make sure that whatever you're doing, your techniques are drawing the eye to the model. Like, it's really kind of an in-your-face painting style in some ways, where it's like, yeah, I didn't spend a lot of effort on, on these models, but... Holy crap, people are looking at. And one of the biggest things, and you kind of mentioned it on in earlier, is the colors have to really combine well, and they have to grab your eye and not let go. And it's got to be obvious. But at the same time, you can go too far and make it too noisy, and that's going to detract from it. So you got to find the right happy medium it is tough. in between. I think tactical painting is not going to be the easiest thing, but when you can get a scheme and techniques together to make it work, it's, it's going to be very rewarding. Yeah, it's it's definitely pretty easy to go overboard with some of these cuz I think for me one of the one of the main tenets of tactical painting is not spending not spending in like too much time on the basic parts of a model mm -hmm. so that you can spend more time on the things that will grab attention like as an example like keeping with a relatively simple, you know, the sil dark silver and the white color scheme, it gives you a lot more free time to do some of the accents like the gems and the OSL and that sort of thing. So by keeping some of the techniques basic you can you have a little bit more time left over to do some of the advanced stuff as well. So we should also mention, for anybody that doesn't know what OSL is, that's listening to this and we're throwing around acronyms, it's object source lighting. So it's, that's the glowy effect that you see on a lot of models, where it's coming from energy coils or gun barrels or eyes or that kind of thing. And OSL is an interesting technique from a tactical stand, uh, painting standpoint because it's so obvious, and when you do it right with an airbrush, it is so cool looking. And you get... It's easy to do with an airbrush, actually. It's also really easy to screw up with an airbrush. Yep. Yes. Uh, so, for example, doing the eye glow, what you're going to do is if you're doing a red eye glow, you take a little bit of red, you give it a larger spray around the eye, you'll get some of the other some of the face, but then you'll take your orange and also get a slightly tighter uh, spray to the eye as well. So it gives you that sort of overspray <laughs> spray to the eye. <laughs> Sexual joke. Nice. Um, but you get that you get that overspray and. People are always going to look at the face of the model, and if you have that sort of effect on the face, it you, you know it. Um, Man, I love them white necrons. <laughs> You're gonna people are gonna people are gonna notice that, and they're gonna look at it, and they're gonna they're gonna vote for your army, which is at the end of the day what a lot of this is about. Absolutely. Uh, and also, the other thing that's neat about that is, did you do any uh, highlighting work, like a lot of extensive highlighting work under that OSL? No. Exactly. So no, well, okay, but here's the thing about it, though, is that for me, tactical painting really revolves, much like Dan said, around minimizing the effort goes on the on the basic parts of the model. But at the same time, it really is a twist where everything you're doing 
if you're not doing it really well, you shouldn't be doing it at all. Yeah. So what we did is it was the full base coat with the, the dark black metal. metal. It's the Vallejo Air dark metal. Yeah. Um, and then kind of more of a, a zenithal highlight. Yep. Uh, with the bolt gun metal and then a quick little spot dry brush with mithril, which worked out really well. Yeah, that's a good way to do metal. And for those of people that don't know, zenith means... So that's more or less going to be giving you this top-down highlight on the model. Yeah, the good way to look at it is if you shine a light on a model, it's where the light makes the model brighter. You're going to apply a brighter color in those areas. So, for example, you do the dark metal over the entire model, and then if you're looking at the model from the top down, the forehead's going to get some uh, sheen to it, the shoulders, the uh, probably some of the arm, like maybe the forearm. The, forearm. the exactly. knees typically get a little bit. Yeah, especially if they're bent, one yeah. knee is kind of up. So you're going to hit those areas, and the thing about an airbrush is it's really easy to do that because all you have to do is just spray from uh, top-down view, and you've got your zenithal. It's done. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, it's actually kind of funny. I was doing that with my Battletech models the other day. Except I was too lazy to get a lamp and do it properly. So that's why they look weird. So they look <laughs> like, yeah, instead of being like a really subtle zenithal highlight, they're just kind of blasted with highlight color. So it's, yeah, do it with the light. So it's you can see what you're coat. doing. It's not even a highlight anymore. So I think, I think the, the actual explanation for why it was such an easy trap to fall into was, because with zenithal highlights, you're trying to get it where the light naturally falls on the model. So by having only the overhead light going, I had like no fill light, I think you'd call it for, I think that's like the film thing where lights like from behind you and from below sort of a thing. Yeah, I know what you're so talking about. I thought I was highlighting only the raised areas because that was the only areas that were getting any light from the light above me when secretly I was just blasting the entire model with the highlight and the entire effect was wasted. So doing it with proper lighting is important to be able to make sure that you're getting them in the right spot. So the other thing and Mike, Mike is just cringing, but hey, they're BattleTech starter miniatures, man. They're one of these. <laughs> not particularly exciting. But you know, uh, another way to explain the zenith is it's pretend it's the light source. If it's it's the sun. So if you're you take your airbrush and you're doing a zenith spray, that's where the light is hitting and that's where it's going to hit your model and that's the areas it highlights first. Yeah. So I do also want to mention uh, this sort of effect can actually be uh, achieved pretty easily without an airbrush. Um, it's not going to be quite as smooth, but actually this is something that GW used to uh, promote when they produced colored spray cans back in the day. Uh, where they actually just brought back the brown one. A Mornfang, Mornfang brown? What? Yeah, they just announced really? they're doing... It's, I think it's one of those like bestial brown, scorch brown-ish colors. And they're Mornfang. I yeah. hope they bring back blood red where it's pink. Oh, I love that <laughs> color. It was so funny. Uh, but anyways, you can use... A uh, spray can testers makes a lot of different shades of uh, army painter. I'm actually painter a, a bigger bunch. fan of the Tamiya ones than the testers. Yeah, Tamiya's a good Tamiya one too. Tamiya will do an acrylic, whereas testers is all enamel. Yeah, yeah. You can do your base. You do the entire model in your base color, and then you pick uh, your highlight, and you can do that same zenithal effect with that spray can. It's going to give you a bit more blotchiness because it spits a little bit more spray cans, but. Yep. Generally, it'll be more or less. But it's after. probably going to be a little harder to do with the spray can because you don't have as much control. Oh, totally, way harder. Yeah, yeah it's definitely. Okay, the you should quick mention and rough that. Version. I'm just saying, it's like, oh, I'll just buy a spray can. It's like, no, no, you really want to go. With no, the but it's it's not a one. bad way uh, to do it if you're if you don't have an airbrush and you're tr you know looking for mm -hmm. a quick way to get an army done and you want to do a highlight. It's not a terrible way of doing it. Nope. And nope, you know, even one step further oh, back, totally. if you want to do uh, just a white and black primer, you can kind of get that undershading effect. If yeah. you're doing lots of layers of thin down paint over top, so it's not really a time saver, but you can get the same idea. I that one I've tried in the past. I've never had good luck with it. I, I know I've people seen other have, people. Yeah, I know other and people. So have that's done why it too. I bring it up. Yep. You know, you definitely can do it. Uh, just ugh. 
I find it really tough. <laughs> Um, but yeah, then we, you, after you do that Zenithal effect with your, your Necrons, we got to move back on to topic here. Uh, so the next thing to do was the shoulder pads. Yeah. And for those, it was really simple. It was just a slight off white. Ultimate gray. Uh, yeah. Ultimate gray. My favorite color. Uh, 50, 50 with white and then just, just white. So it was the three layers and. And the key thing was those shoulder pads are small. Yeah. They're, small they're very detail. small. And because I started at very close to white, mm -hmm. you just have to very excuse me, quickly feather just around those ends, layers yeah. just to make them nice and smooth. And because you're not doing a crazy color gradient on there, it doesn't take as many layers as you would otherwise. Yeah, and one of the things, too, with all through in gray, it, it actually is the only white shade that covers in my mind. It has the ability to... From G-Dub. From G-Dub, yeah. Uh, I really do like that shade. I think that's the other thing about it, too, is if you go with... If you're good at tactical painting orange or yellow... Uh, it could be difficult. You got to really work on your techniques. So that's one of the things with this all through and gray in a small area. You can get good coverage quickly. Yeah. Your highlights, just quick white highlight, you're done. You know, and then, oh, sorry, Mike. Uh, you know something also we didn't really brush on for tactical painting, uh, and most people will just go to black for primer. But sometimes you know it's it's a good idea to prime gray or white because it can change how easy it is to paint your army up. Oh, totally. If you're gonna do a yellow army, you should probably start with white. <laughs> yes, you should. So my 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 theme is is if it's you want something that's bright or it's a light shade of a color, you should always go white. Whereas if you want deep dark colors, you always go black. Yeah, there's a good example of uh, of why you shouldn't do black as a primer. There was a uh, Wraith Knight painted on Bella Lost Souls, and it was painted decently well, but it used a black uh, base coat and yellow over black turns green. Yeah, it kind of has a weird yeah. greenish grayish kind of a tint to it. It's it's definitely noticeable, and I know, Tom, um, for your Earthbreaker... Yeah, I I thought because the way I paint my Rulik Jacks, I start with a bit of a, a more of a brown than a yellow, mm -hmm. that I found the color equivalents in Vallejo Air, and I sprayed it with this, what I thought was a relatively deep brown, and the model was just green. <laughs> so no I then, coverage, nice. So I then spent a good 10 hours going back and uh, trying to shade the recesses enough so that it actually came nice. out yellow. And it, it looked I think it looks good now, but Absolutely. It's a work. I should have started with the gray undercoat. Gotcha. Had I started gray, uh, it would have turned out yeah, when, infinitely better. When you're brushing on paint versus airbrushing on paint, you do get um, very different effects a lot of the time. Like mm -hmm. with an airbrush, one layer will never get you 100% coverage. So with, uh, with airbrush, you're always getting a little bit of the color underneath bleeding through. Even after multiple layers, there's very subtle... Yep color differences which is what happens with the yellow because if you do your you know yellowish brown base coats and blend up the highlights and all the rest of it you're still getting tiny little nuances of color showing through of the black primer especially when you use an airbrush paint because yeah. it's thinner and to be fair this is actually something that you can use to your advantage Absolutely. because oftentimes you can do pre-shading pre or more stark gradients with an airbrush than you could with a brush on because it is going to let the color underneath bleed through yeah, Definitely. and pre-shading is... Uh, pre-shading is basically, um, it's a really quick and dirty way of um, getting some of those subtle shading effects through where if you have a light color or a medium color um, kind of as your all-over base coat on the model, you can actually really quickly go in with an airbrush with a darker color and blast it into the shadows. You don't have to be very careful or anything like that. But yeah, it's like the like obvious Zenithal. Yeah, it's uh, not necessarily from underneath, but you can also use it to like pick yeah. out panel lines or... Anything that you want to have really subtly darker. 
And then when you go over and do your base coats, just that tiny little bit of it will show through and give you a really natural looking shading. And it's it's tough to do on smaller models. Absolutely, it's tough. A good to do, example, like, a good on place. On my Battletech, it. it's bad because it's too small. <laughs> a good place would be Eldar Tau vehicles where they've got yeah. smooth curves. You yes. can hit those yep. where the curves come down and meet, sort of, where there's those low spots. That's a good place for pre-shading. Yeah. Uh, but jumping back on to the next step for your Necrons, this is now where we're sort of into the more, I, I want to say esoteric techniques, because after you did the white, was the next step? The next step after the white was actually to do some sponge chip weathering, which is really easy to do. You just take Super a, easy. One of my favorite techniques. You just take a little piece of blister foam, or what I've been finding works really well lately is... I've used pluck foam from my battle foam cases. Yeah, offcuts of battle foam have come in super handy. And they're I'm perfect running, already. Because I'm running out of blister foam. It comes in such large quantities. It's, it's amazing. actually thicker foam, too. I never thought about that. And But not only that, but if you, especially if you have the two-inch foam, you pull it out, and it's a two-inch strip by, I think, about a quarter inch. I think it's half inch, inch, but either way. No, the, the it gets half inch on the three-inch or larger, but the... Oh. It's still okay. Anyways, point is, it's, it's great, and you can just <laughs> all you do is you put. Um, for me, how I normally do it is I'll take uh, like a scorch brown equivalent, mm -hmm. and then you just mash the end of the the this foam into the paint, kind of dab it a couple times on the palette to make sure you don't have just full coverage coming off of there, and then lightly tap it onto the areas where it's probably going to be worn on the model. Yep. And then what I'll do after the the brown is I'll take a black, and do just very lightly around the very edges. Yeah. Just to kind of give it a little bit more of an accent. So the thing about that sponge weathering is you can you can really ruin it if you go too heavy. The thing is is to go light and sort of build it up slowly so yeah. that you know when to stop. It's yeah. a light dabbing thing that you want to put on. You don't want to do like a dry brush. You don't drag the sponge. It's just sort of a, a Yeah, it's it's definitely a dabbing motion, I guess. Just tap it in. Just, just tap tap it in. <laughs> go home ball. Um <laughs> No, uh, when you, but when you do that, the thing about it that's going to be uh, sort of the, I guess, the reward for the light dabbing is you get the edges. It sort of does uh, an edge chip effect, which is where you would normally have paint rub off on a model yeah, on like a you, tank. Yeah, you don't have, like, if it's on power armor, you're not going to get a lot of chipping on, like, the inside of your elbow or something. It's going to be, like, your shoulder pads, your knee pads, your toes, your knuckles. The... Things like the wrist guard the wear kind surfaces. of yeah like the it's, surfaces, it's yeah. definitely something you can get kind of an intuitive feel for if you've ever been on like a work site that has like some heavy equipment or like um like a yep. you know skid steer with like the the dozer on it like there've been I've actually been you know they noticed me a couple times when I worked summer jobs back in the day I was like why the hell are you taking pictures of the bobcat and I'm like that was really nice weathering effects. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, but, the yellow uh, paint. That's one of the things is, is the yellow paint on industrial equipment, which is why I love weather's really nice. I love heavily weathered imperial fists because like it's just it's always such a neat contrast. And that's because having... yellow and brown actually are good complementary colors for yeah, each other. The it weathering looks right. the weathering ties into the paint color, which is what I was trying to tell Ward with um, you know the gray basing versus the brown basing for his imperial fists because mm -hmm. brown basing. It's a lot easier to do the weathering. You can do your pigments and all the other stuff. So that's and it the all other blends thing. together nicely. With tactical painting, we were talking about this actually, I think, before the show one, uh, one episode. One of the reasons we liked the, the gray is because the more gray base that Ward did is because it was so much more contrasty. Yeah. And that can be a thing that can draw the eye, and it can also totally ruin your model. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's always a balancing act yeah. because half the time you'll never know until the army's done because something that looks good on one model might even still look good on 10 models. And then when yeah. it gets to 50 to 100 models, it might just be, nah, that's too much. Yeah, yellow and blue are contrasting colors. Do they always look good together? 
<laughs> I think it's one of the main reasons why when I paint models, I try to keep a lot of those really vibrant colors, especially those spot colors, like the opposite ones. Yeah. I try to keep them definitely to a minimum, like some of the smaller details. Yeah. Where, um, like on the word bearers, for example, they have, um, the, the her post heresy ones are red. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to put too much green on them, but I mean, if it's a little bit of like catechin green on a grenade or something like that, you can definitely get some a really good... A muted green would be a good contrast. Yeah, they can be You don't want a Christmas good. tree? Come on. Christmas Everybody loves Christmas. Christmas. I actually, it's called I, Evil Sons. I actually have a Deathwing model that he has a giant blob of snow glued <laughs> to his head. That was that was me. I think because I did that. it was a yeah no that was me actually. You oh. tried to tell me not to do it because you liked it. You liked the model and I thought it was stupid, so I put a big blob of snow flock on his head and it just kind of welded on. But that's always my big <laughs> my big beef with Deathwing colors is between the bone, which if you highlight too high just becomes white, and then like the green and the red accent colors, you get a very Christmassy combo. Yeah, and I so. Keeping a lot of your accents that are prominent, like um, on Space Marines, like the, you know, the Crux Terminatus on the shoulder pads or the yep. pouches or something like that. I always try to keep a lot of those accent colors to be muted. A, because they paint up really quickly if they're not drawing too much attention, but also because they don't clash and get you that like bad contrast, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like on my Deathwing, I had them be kind of a deep gray. And yeah, I think that worked really Yeah, it was well. definitely like, it was like a stone kind of a color, right? Yeah, it was, because it was designed to be... Stone. <laughs> well, so, mission accomplished. Yay. So after you did the weathering. <laughs> well, after next... I did the sponge weathering, yeah. the next step was actually to do... Um, uh, no, I guess the next step was the OSL for the Did guns. you do any rust powders? I did, but I did that afterwards because really? I used the... I didn't use a rust powder. We'll get into it, at, we'll get into it later. So I then did the OSL. Yep. And so, what, so if anybody knows, familiar with a Necron uh, model, what areas did you hit? So on the ones that I did originally was the death marks. So the barrels of their guns, because they're all energy weapons. Yeah, and they have those glowing sort of rune channel yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. And then I did on these ones, because they have these very prominent spines, just to give a little bit more contrast on the model, especially from behind. So if someone's walking past the table and you're playing against your opponent on the other side, it kind of like their spines are glowing, so the inside of the model has some of this energy. Which yeah. is very Battlestar Galactica, oh, yeah. which is One of the reasons awesome. we, I think, also were like, you need to do the spine. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think it was, <laughs> it was definitely a big inspiration for the color yeah. scheme was Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, that glowing red spine on all the uh, the seven or whatever her name was. Caprica six. Caprica six, there you go. Yeah. You've got, you're the guy who has the action figure on hanging from the wall over there. You should know. I know I do. He doesn't have it to know her name. <laughs> <laughs> I know Trisha <laughs> He, he remembers talk, the red baby. dress. Don't talk, baby. I remember Trisha Helfer very well. <laughs> um, and then just to get the, the next step then is uh, we can may as well talk about the bases because this comes in before the weathering powders for me. Yeah, okay, yeah, definitely. So following through with these Necrons, because I had this very black and white scheme with the red accent, I wanted something relatively muted but not too dark. So we ended up going with a kind of sand desert style bases and we used the secret weapon miniatures uh ancient wastelands i think they're called yeah the resin bases are a good way to also add your tactical painting if you pick a resin base that's not over the top yeah uh, and they're nice and subtle because it's more yeah. or less a cracked earth with little mounds of dirt yeah you could definitely get that effect yourself uh with crackling paste and sand but again, we're talking about time and effort here. Yeah. You're not going to do better than buying Crackling them. paste is A, fragile as hell, and B, very time-consuming to use. You have to give it several days to fully cure. So you can get great effects on, like, painting contest models or something you can really take your time on. 
Yeah, and you also and probably also won't... your first models aren't going to look great if you're just yeah, playing with Crackle it's... the first time. It's very easy to mess that up for sure. Yeah, yeah. and you're going to want to glue seal that too in some ways if you're going to be playing with them because it will crack off. Like, it'll actually fall off the model. Yeah. It's basically just plaster. And so one thing to really keep in mind with tactical painting when it comes to basing is you still want to have at least two colors on there because you don't want it to be too simple. They need yeah. to have... Enough going on where they're not detracting from the model, but not so much going on that all you look at is the base. Because then you're not focusing on what you should be, which is ideally the center of the model, their face, the glowing yep. backs, the guns, that kind of thing. So what I end up doing is a two-tone brown. Yep. So the cracked earth itself was more of a lighter, sand, tan kind of color. Yep. And then the mounds... <laughs> Hilariously enough, we're kind of like poo mounts. We called them poops. The little poops. The little poops. <laughs> kind of like a scorched brown up to uh, graveyard earth kind of yep. deeper brown. And this ties in. I, Very healthy brown. Yeah. The weathering powders I used were actually ones that were a similar brown to the bases. So I put the brown kind of around their feet. Yeah. Looks like they're dust. kicking up dust. So it's a nice tie-in on the model to the base because oftentimes... You just put the model on the base, and they're a very separate entity, and there's not really much connecting the two together. Yeah, it's a very old-school way of doing things, is where you had no connection between... The model's actually walking on stuff in a yeah. battlefield. Yeah, the perfectly clean, polished space marines trudging around through the mud, and I don't know if they have, like, a Teflon coating over top of the ceramite. That water beads. Because sticks. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, definitely. That's So your, your Necrons are not that. They're very weathered and dusty models, but appropriately dusty. They're not entirely covered in dust. It's no. just the lower extremities need Well, out. and a little bit of dust in the recesses on the white. Which makes sense, because the white's going to show it. And it's going to be blown around. And it was, I used, because with weathering powders, they can be really finicky, I did actually use a lighter sand powder on the shoulder pads, just so that it wouldn't be super dark and... Keep it more subtle? Yeah. So the real question is, how long did that five-man uh, death mark unit take you? Well, I think I, it took two nights of painting over here because that was from assembly through to final completion and talking about color scheme. So as far as actual sit-down time of physical painting, I, was, I, would, I would hazard four five hours, hours. Four or five yeah. hours, maybe? Yeah. Maybe? Which I, to some people might sound like a lot, but when you're talking, you took them out of the box, came up with a scheme, painted them, and they're done, and... I would like, I'd actually like to go around and rank, like, we we forgot to do our puck ranking system for our orc models, so I'm going to rate your models. It's almost a little too early for that, because we've just seen those tiny little... Yeah, we need to get enough, photos on the we, internet. We need the okay. centerfolds, like they're giving us now. We'll, we'll reserve judge judgment <laughs> until for our puck system, but I would say I would give your models a solid, uh, if you were going to a, a painting contest, rating your models out of a five, sort of a checklist system, you'd get five pucks. That's a weird five. painting contest. Well, no, I'm talking about a tournament. <laughs> so, you know, when you're getting your, your opponent's judgment yeah. uh, kind of thing, it's usually out of five, mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where did you have all the areas checked off? I would give you five pucks out of five. Well, thank you. I, what do you think, Dan? Yeah, I mean, they definitely check off all the bases where they have the, um, you know, they have the, the fancier, well, bases. <laughs> right. Kind of a poor choice of words there. <laughs> well, but, um, yeah, so they have, the, they have the nice bases that tie into the model. They have a well-thought-out color scheme that works together. They have a little bit of the more advanced techniques like the OSL and the weathering, and they're fully painted. Like, the details are picked out. There's so when you're talking way about beyond the three... Well, they're Necrons. They're not that far beyond three-color minimum, but you know what I mean, right? Like yeah. They're, no, but when you're talking complex, about they're fully done. a model done to that standard uh, for four hours or five hours of painting, that's actually a really good return on investment. That's huge. 
And, you know, the other thing, too, is that they this is one of those styles of painting where if I was doing 10 or 20 of them at one time, it would exponentially decrease. Yeah, you'd probably only be spending six hours. Yeah, because kind of switching colors on an airbrush after painting, like, for five seconds to airbrush a couple of models, it's really inefficient. You spend a lot of the time with the airbrush spending as much or more time in prep work as you do actually painting. And cleaning it up. And cleaning. So yeah. larger batches, they really give yeah. you... Because spending a little bit more time painting is not a big deal. If you're only cleaning, if you're cleaning the brush every 10 or 15 minutes of work, not every like three or four or five minutes of work, it is proportionally going to save you a lot of time. Yep, totally. Yep. So that's uh, more or less tactical painting in a nutshell. I think we've covered our, our bases on that. We've hit the, the buzzword sort of effects. We've hit weathering powders. We've hit OSL. We've hit uh, zenithal lighting. Doesn't have checkers though. That's true, but that's not a tactical painting thing. That is a you're gonna go crazy thing. <laughs> well, now to be fair, um, <laughs> Tom, I painted checkers on Harlequins. You're gonna go crazy. No, you are gonna go crazy. But one of the one of the nice things to do is you want to make sure your basic troopers are not losing any points. It is still a good idea to take a little bit extra time on your character models. Oh, totally. And so totally. that you do have a few of those showpiece models. At the end of the day, they should stand out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's fair because. Uh, those sh those character models, though, in a lot of ways are a lot more rewarding, so you're going to take that time. That's just kind of assumed. Like, in most of these games, the, the character models are something of representing the, from the old D&D days, they represent the player on the battlefield. You should spend time on those. Those are the cool models of the army. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And to do a really cheesy analogy here, it's kind of like in music, where you want to be able to have the, the quiets to further accentuate the louds. If you're spending all this time making... That was a bit of a walk to get to that metaphor. Right? <laughs> um, if, if you are... Dynamic range, don't you know? But it works with painting, too. If all yeah. of your models look as good as the character model, it looks great, but sometimes it does detract from the character model. Because, like, oh, really? He's mm -hmm. just the same as everyone else? Yeah, no, you can be brought down by that. And say, I mean, there's... Obviously, if you paint everything to a golden demon standard, people yeah, are still there are, that. Yeah. But generally, like, if you did everything exactly the same as a death mark, yeah, I would. I could see your point. I think people would be like, "Oh, you just bash painted them." But yeah, know, some people get upset about that. At the end of the day, your basic troopers should look like basic troopers. Your elite guys should look a little more fancy, and your characters should look like individuals. Yeah. So. Yep. yep. And I, I think, yeah, have we missed anything? I know we had a huge well, discussion about this. I think we've actually covered everything. Yeah. Just to summarize, uh, is there anything any of you guys are using as far as tactical painting goes in your projects we're working on to fight John Wong? That might be not talked about or relevant? I think Dan, actually, and I'm going to be trying that later tonight, is a pin wash. Yeah, pin wash is actually something that I've uh, picked up some of the plies, supplies to do. I can't talk today. Have you noticed? I have noticed. I and you're the one that one. hasn't had any beer. I know. I'm drinking vitamin some. water and slurring my words. What is I know this? with golf, you get better. It's called aiming juice. Maybe we should give you some talking <laughs> juice. I'm going to get some more aiming juice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so pin wash is something that I've been... Can you I've grab been... me some aiming juice? Anyone, anyone else want aiming juice? <laughs> no, I, I think I'm good. But uh, yeah, so pinwash is something I've been preparing to do, doing a little bit of research, like watching some videos on YouTube, that sort of a thing. It's actually a technique from a lot more of like the military and like historical model yeah. builders, like, you know, armored like tanks and planes and that sort of a thing. Yeah, I've seen it a lot with like the joints between planes. So yeah. that streaking effect from speed where they have like the, the oil sort of comes across the wing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that, that was actually the first video I saw that really drew some attention to this pinwash cool. technique. And uh, so basically, you get um, you get your model like more or less done, and for the for picking out the panel lines, which these guys in the video were saving till just about last. I think decals were one of the only things they did afterwards. But basically, everything is just about done, ready to go. 
yet they actually gloss varnish seal the entire model because when you're using a lot of these oil washes and everything, you're using those pretty abrasive thinners, which mm -hmm. can strip the paint off of the layers underneath. And you definitely don't want that. Mm. So yeah, they did a layer of gloss varnish, which um, protects the model. And it also helps the wash, which is an oil paint that's heavily thin with turpentine. Um, so when they apply that to the model, the gloss varnish also increases the flow on the surface. So you like dab a brush full of wash onto the panel and the crack actually like sucks all the paint into it. Yeah, capillary action. Yeah, capillary action is just really, really rapidly draws the paint into the crevices and uh, really does a lot of the work for you. And then basically once that is, um, once the thinner is flashed off, like the guy in the video actually used a hairdryer set on low and thinned off from a distance so it didn't like splash the wash or anything like that. Yeah, you're but, looking for um, heat, not airflow. Or yeah, just like really mild levels yeah. of both just to help it dry a little bit quicker. And um, yeah, so once Sue is all dry, he actually got Q-tips, loaded them up with the same turpentine he was using to thin his oils, and then by running them in the opposite direction of the cracks, very much like dry brushing, it cleaned up a lot of the excess. Like any of the excess wash that is kind of spilling over the edges can be very carefully dabbed. And on this model, it was on a plane wing, so it actually got a little bit of that like speed streaks kind of effect as well. Mike, and it you, was... you, look, you sound excited by this. No, more, it's okay. I'm, I'm good. You're I'm good. What's, yeah. what's, what's going on? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing's right. going on. I, I don't know what's happening. Oh, I but, know what you uh, said. You said it was like dry brushing. Oh, so we should have had Mike doing oh, this tutorial. Yeah, it go. seems like a good point. There was a question on our podcast or, or on the, uh, the Facebook page. Um, what size dry brush is best? The largest one. Mike? Mike, Mike lead us through this. Oh, you guys are such assholes. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> hey, don't say James, one of our faithful listeners, asked the question. So and you... I'm going to beat the crap out of him later. Oh, it's James? <laughs> this makes a lot more sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I really like that question. James, you got to make my day. But yeah, so so the streaking, it's or the, the pin wash, I guess. It's, the it streaking. Because yeah. streaking is similar Streaking's but more different. Fun. But um, yeah, so it's, it is a great way to get um, those really subtle panel lines marked out yep. and you're using the materials to their utmost, like they're doing a lot of the work for you, so you can do them quickly. Yeah. And uh, with a similar technique, you can also do some of the, like the weathering style streaking, like some of those rain streaks or dust streaks, like on a model. Yeah, which is impossible to do because I tried to do it on the they're, Stormtown. They're very hard to do with Black acrylics. Ink. Very Black hard to do with hard. oil and acrylics because they are fairly permanent. You don't have as much working time with them. But you can actually do the same where um, you basically mix up your oil paint with a little bit of thinner, kind of put a really a few really small dabs in areas that would have this streaking effect. And then with a clean brush with no paint on it, just thinner, you can drag it over the model and smear in and get like these really subtle streaking effects. And again, you can't do it without the varnish, otherwise it can eat into the paint underneath and do all kinds of horrible things. But is there specific brands the that, are, that you should use for this? Or is it all just straight up turpentine, straight up this paint? Um, the main difference between a lot I'd of the turpentine. probably use a golden uh, turpentine because there's at least an actual art supply turpentine. Yes. If you go to the hardware store and get turpentine, it's probably going to be a little more abrasive. Uh, I'm sure it'll be probably really similar, but part yeah. of it too is a lot of the artist grade um, additives have a lot less fumes, so you won't like kill yourself well, painting good. in an enclosed area. Didn't even think of that. So, yeah, a fumes lot of these were the last of my concerns. My brain so... went immediately to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, lock myself in a closet with my paint thinner. And huff your turpentine. Yeah, it sounds like but, a good uh, Yeah, so the guy, the guys in the video, and it's really common advice um, just to use a lot of the cheap like artist tubes of um, oil paints. You don't have to get one of the like gigantic ones that like bigger oh, yeah. than a tube of toothpaste but you're like, never going to use tubes, it all anyways so the small tubes are really are really cheap i bought a set of i think it's like 18 colors and it was like 12 bucks 
Wow. Yeah, from Michaels. And so you it know has, what you like, should do? You, we should put a link up for that video and maybe list the paints that you use too, because I actually wouldn't mind trying that as well. Yeah, so yeah, it's and um, and the thinner that I have is actually Secret Weapon um, White Spirits or something like that, because I don't really know the difference between Mineral Spirits and White Spirits and Turpentine and stuff like that, but they're all very similar. I actually got White Spirits, and it took me six months to get somebody to admit what it really was, because White Spirits is a British term. And nobody yes. knew what the hell I was talking about when and I kept asking for it. Like the Forge World examples in their oh, masterclass really? books, they refer yeah. to things as white spirits as well. So sometimes there are some like you know translation issues trying to figure out what the hell they mean. Mm. But, huh. um, but yeah, Pro so tip. just white spirits is British <laughs> and turpentine. <laughs> but so uh, don't drink white spirits. <laughs> no, they, they sound tasty, but it's bad. Yep. Um, but yeah, so a lot of these art store supplies, like uh, the Secret Weapon um, Thinner, which is very similar to what you can get from an art store, but I got it because I knew I knew it was specifically designed for miniatures, so it was going to work. And uh, that stuff was relatively cheap. The oil paints themselves were quite cheap. And I also picked up some of the, like, uh, you know, 20 for 6 bucks grade brushes for messing with oils. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Because Don't use your expensive Sable uh, you can, Series 7. It's, as with a lot of things, like, you can, if you're taking proper care of them, you can do... You know, a lot to extend the life like of your it. brushes, but because turpentine will eat the the uh, press glue in the ferrule, I I think it's better. yeah, it's it's definitely something that you probably could get away with, but I didn't want to risk it on my like you know fifteen to twenty dollar brushes, so I bought the really cheap ones. And I mean, I'm just gonna be doing basically weathering techniques with these. Yeah, you don't so. need anything special. So yeah, I just yeah. bought a whole bunch of them, a few different sizes and all that. Just grabbed one of the like you know sealed bags full of random brushes for cheap and yeah, yeah, haven't uh, haven't messed around with those too much just yet, but uh, they should be. These Battletech models are a really good example for it because there's something I'm just trying to get done as opposed to something that I'm putting a lot of heart and soul into. So it's a great time to experiment. Yeah, it's going to be okay. another tactical painting type thing for sure. So here's a question um, from James Paul. Again, this is actual. Uh, this is a more serious question. Yeah, he came up with a real question, Mike. Don't worry. Yeah. <sighs> uh, so for you guys, do you think it is better to assembly line units at a time or entire choices at a time? Or is there kind of a... Okay. Do you feel like there is a number that is too many models to assembly line paint? I have uh, a lot to say about this. I think assembly line painting is it's it's good, but I think you need to take it even a step further, depending on how and what techniques you use. If you're using an airbrush, you should be assembly line painting components and sub-assemblies. Uh, because, again, from a more speed painting sort of uh, line of reasoning, you can go a lot faster when you have the bolt guns off the sprue. They're black, the model might be blue. Yeah, especially because the bolt guns are almost never going to be the same color as the armor, so they yeah. get in the way, they make it harder to paint the chest and the arms. Hey, Iron Warriors! <laughs> so <laughs> bolt think, gun metal! I think to answer James' question, is is there a number that's too many? Yes and no. If you have uh, if you have an airbrush, I would say, and you can paint your models in sub-assemblies, paint everything that's the same color in the same sub-assembly with your airbrush because you're going to save time from that cleaning the brush standpoint. I mean, obviously, within reason. If you have 200 Skaven clan rats, you might run out of paint and need to clean it. And you might it. kill yourself before you finish. Yeah. Which is probably bad. And I can't say from first-hand experience, obviously, but I assume yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And because I know James doesn't have an airbrush, what would you do now, Steve? Oh, okay. Well, if you know that, I would say your best bet is to do batches of 5 to 10. Because no more. if you're doing... Once you hit the 11th model and you see you still have another 29 to go, you're going to probably stop and immediately go watch TV. Yeah, doing, well, doing batches that are too large can be kind of soul-crushing. So you, everyone will have a different sweet spot. 
Mm-hmm. Like I like that five to ten zone as well. And sometimes if I start with ten, I might do you know ba- do the base coats on ten space marines or whatever it is. And then once you get to a certain stage where you're starting to slow down and spend more time on details, I often split it up and then do like groups of three to five at a time. And I oh. found for me with War Machine, it was really easy to start with the unit of ten, and then oftentimes there's two to three of the same model yeah. in that unit. There's not a lot because of there are a couple of repeats. Yeah. Once I get all the base coats down, then I'll choose the two or three that are the same, or I'll find two or three that I'm doing similar colors on. Because especially with my Mercs and the Pirates, oftentimes I've got different poses will have different colors on them, but so that they're still cohesive, I'll have the same basic color on one of each pose. So I'll take the ones with the similar colors and then paint them all at the same time so I'm not wasting paint on my palette and I can speed things up a little bit. Yeah, they're definitely a little bit more ragtag, but you can still make it work in the batch painting environment. So I know, Mike, you're a little more uh, brush uh, heavy than, than we are because we've gone heavy under the yeah, airbrush. Yeah, you, you guys are really like airbr- airbrush. So how about, how about you then, not using airbrush? What do you... What do I do? Um, let's say uh, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to have three sets ready. I'm going to have set that's taking paint. I'm going to have a set that's finished and prime and ready to go after the first set has its paint down. And I'm going to have one set that's assembled and then just go on from there each time. That way you're not going to have all these models sit in front of you, but you're going to have the three stages and it's going to be easy to flip from one. So you actually go from more of a, uh, assembled, primed, ready to paint. Yes. Like you go more basic. Was this so three sets one? of the same model or three yeah, different? Yeah, say it's three troop choices. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So you, your first set is down, you're putting paint on it right now. Your second set is primed and ready as soon as you're done painting. And the third set is in some form of assembly. So how many models are in those sets? Say 10. So 30 so at most okay. going at any one time. Any more than that, I think you're sunk. So that's down. why you paint more than us because you do 30 at a time. <laughs> no, no, no. Tip. I Trump's going paint more models. <laughs> I paint 20 Battletech models in the dark at a time. But again, that's bad advice. <laughs> do not do that. You turn on your lamps when also, they're five feet away. If you've seen Battletech models, I think they're all one piece. Yeah, the ones I was batch painting were all the one piece yeah. models. So yeah. there's not a lot to them. But yeah. still, I probably should they're have one turned. Step above your I probably should have turned the lights on. So the one thing that I've found is that it's not a hard and fast rule for how many models you should do. But be aware as to what your painting limits are and what quality of a paint job you're expecting from yourself. And oftentimes you'll find that cutoff point or that breaking point where that one extra model in the assembly line reduces how well all of them are painted. Yeah. And you'll often find, you know, when you're getting to that highlight on that 11th model, it's just never as clean as it was on the first three. Yeah, I never go above And so always, always be checking this for yourself and being self-aware of that if your painting is decreasing in quality, reduce the number of models you're painting at one time. Yep, that's a good that's good advice. I also uh, to add on to what you're saying, there is times when even I find myself uh, my my hands getting a little shaky. Maybe I'm not as steady. The lines not as crisp. At that point, I realize I have to go start doing base coats on something else and keep away from the details until I can get my composure. That's usually when I leave the room and go watch a movie or something. Yeah, which is why I don't paint as much as you. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I know what you mean though. There's definitely are those moments where you you need to stop and change for your whatever tactics. reason. Like, like you know, you'll cut for myself if I if I'm playing tennis and I come home, I cannot do detail work because my I'm too shaky. Yep, too so much adrenaline. The only option is to do uh, base do coats. your base coats. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the last question we had on here that wasn't making fun of us um, or people that asked questions is what do you recommend for battle tech so obviously paint them with proper lighting is tip number one I recommend 
Mad Cats. Yes, well, that is generally good advice. But no, yeah, because <laughs> they're the best. And the best models. You're going to have a better time painting them. I think one of the keys to Battletech for sure is definitely to keep things simple because they are small, and especially some of the starter set models, they don't have a hell of a lot of detail. Um, so airbrushing for the base coats is fine, but trying to get into the highlights and everything because they are pretty small, it is a little bit tricky, so it might in some ways be easier just to get your base coats down and then brush out the old-fashioned brushes. But yeah, mostly keeping things basic. Um, don't necessarily have to copy the insanely bright color schemes from... The, uh, from all the books, because some of them are very 80s. Oh, yeah. Like, well, that's, severely what's wrong with that? 80s. That's actually, that can be kind of awesome. But, yeah, bright colors on those models, they can look pretty uh, messy quickly. Just paint them all blood red. It'll be fine. <laughs> but, yeah, so I think, I definitely find that, a, that lot of the, a lot of the more <laughs> simple color schemes work really well, and um, you can actually buy, apparently they take four to six weeks to ship, but you can buy decals. From, I believe it's... Oh, shoot. In that Fight, scale? Yeah, Fighting Piranha Games or something like that. So they... Because a, the, a lot of the mechs in the rule books and everything, they have the, the unit numbers on them. Like, it'll be like yeah. 63 or 34 or whatever. But in that scale. those yeah. That would be the tiniest decals ever. Yeah. Okay. They're just yeah, so you can ever. But. And so they... they like, uh, if you're getting from Fighting Piranha, you get basically get one sheet. Mm -hmm. And if you're getting like the... Uh, what is it like Steiner Davion or something like the big fist like Crimson Fist yeah. looking hand I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so you'll get like the same decal in like 10 different sizes like it'll start like Space Marine shoulder pad size and then shrink down all the way to something you can put down on like a the pin. shin or the knee <laughs> of a model or something like that because there is everything from you know the drop ships and the you know the heavies and the salt mm -hmm. mechs and the fighters and stuff like that all the way down to those like 25 ton light mechs the toads or like the, I think the spider is the smallest mech that came in the starter set. I think that's a twenty-five pound or twenty-five tonner. Twenty-five pound mech would be very small. Yeah, that would <laughs> I don't know where the pilot would sit, but um, very yeah, small Mike. Uh, I was just saying, if you think about decals, it's not that hard of a leap. If you look at the bigger kits that you got for aircraft carriers and all those tiny little planes that are maybe a centimeter yeah, true, true. they have the American Signas and all the lumbers and everything. So. It's not a huge jump, but it's it's still within yep. there, right? Yeah, yeah. No, so they're they're definitely a little bit tricky to get. Um, again, it's you, I believe it's Fighting Piranha is the name of the company. Anything BattleTech has like um, a lot of the newer books have links to the websites, like actually printed in the books. So I can't remember this one off That's the top a of my head. Idea. I know some of their books were not printed in the eighties, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So they they definitely have the decals on there as well. There's I believe it's Camel Specs again. I can't remember if it's .com or .net. But Camel Specs is the name of a site where they have um, like actual like canonical color schemes for all the different regiments, like oh hundreds Lord. and hundreds of these things. So you can see a lot of examples. Like if you know what um, faction you're painting for, there are good examples. You can see what works and what doesn't, and because these are all submitted by um, like actual users, so they rate they they have the whole range from like you know total beginners in some cases, like not like painted with a Q-tip level, but. Um, but yeah, they have like the more basic paint schemes yeah. all the way up to somebody that's, you know, like bordering on like painting contest or type of a thing. Like not full on heavy metal, I would say, but they have some really nice paint schemes on there for sure. So cool. there's definitely a lot of good resources online. There've been people building and playing these games pretty fanatically for many years. So using the resources that are available and uh, keeping the color schemes a little bit more tame than some of the really clashy bright stuff, I think that would probably be the way to go. And paint mad cats. And paint all the mad sure. cats. Okay, well, thanks for the people that uh, had questions. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad we did too. Awesome. I wonder how Except many questions. James, we're not thanking James. No, he had a very good question, actually. No, we're still not thanking him. <laughs> well, we're thanking him. Yeah, just, Mike, just isn't. Mike isn't. 
Um, so I guess I've got one last thing to say as far as just a, a general painting tip for people that are trying a bit of a time crunch. As soon as humanly possible, paint your bases. I find for me, psychologically, there's just something about it where the model looks more done. So I don't feel like I'm going uphill as much. Can I be contrarian? Because I hate painting my bases till the model's done. See, my biggest thing is if I paint the model, including the feet and the legs and everything, and then get the slightest bit of paint from dry brushing on the model, I lose my mind. And that's why yeah. we do bases. So first. I like to do. Oh, yeah, I love so doing a lot the of the bases times... last because I feel like <laughs> I've finished the uh, the model's now done. I can do the last finishing touches. It's the base. It's easy, and it makes the model look complete quickly. I love doing but the bases. Now things. this is kind of the thing. Worst case scenario, if your bases are all done properly and you've base coated your models, I guarantee you, yeah, true. let's say we both run out of time, you with unfinished bases can't or play. just green flock, you either can't play or are going to get very low scores, even if your models are better painted than mine. Yep. If I've got nice looking bases and my base colors are blocked and I've shaded maybe a highlight or two here and there, oh, yeah, that you're totally still going to look really good. No, that's true. So and if I, you are I, painting in a time crunch... You win. I give you that. <laughs> I give you that. Okay, it's probably better. I like doing my bases last. I'm sorry. Okay, so it's it's personal it's preference, personal, entirely. not tactical. I just find it very rewarding to do the the bases on For a yourself. Saturday when you're done the model. Okay. I find it, you know, you're only you're, on a Saturday. What if you finish on a Friday? Okay. He doesn't finish on Fridays. No, I finish always. On he can't finish on Fridays. I feel like that is a Saturday afternoon. I finish my entire army. It's time to do bases. I can do this in the day. Now the army's done, and it's that finishing touch. I love that. I'm sorry. I'm weird. Yeah, well, no, yeah. You, you were looking for an <laughs> argument. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> no, Steve, you're, Steve, you're so normal. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're sitting down here podcasting about toy soldiers. That is, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and like, it was actually half decent earlier today too, which is kind of weird. Yep. Otherwise, but. yep. I was kind of wondering where you're where you're going with that, but weather, okay. That's, well, we that's... live in Edmonton, man. It's not <laughs> often we get nice weather. True, <laughs> true. I'm still waiting. What are you talking about? Right? Because <laughs> we installed air conditioning. Oh, so right. Okay, crappy. there we go. Sorry That's it. That. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, but we no, should actually not. move on uh, yeah. to our events coming up. Okay, so uh, first and foremost, the next event happening here in Alberta is the Rocky Mountain Cup. This is a 50-point war machine event in Calgary on June 21st and 22nd. As far uh, It's a two-list divide and conquer. And check out them. They're on Facebook. You can just search Rocky Mountain Cup, and I think it's the first entry there. Cool. Uh, other than that, uh, the next event in Edmonton that's a larger one is, again, the. Uh, it came from out of the basement where we're running all of the systems. Yep. And I unfortunately, it cannot be there again. Sad. Well, you can Super be there sad. Friday. Yes. I'll be there either Friday or Saturday. Not sure yet. What Which do you one? mean you're not sure yet? Probably you're not Friday. coming to Drop Zone? Probably Friday. You're coming to Drop Zone? Probably Friday. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we've mentioned it many a time what games, the uh, systems we have going on in that one. If you want more information on that, uh, you check out the ch Facebook page. Yeah, There's... it came from the basement. Yep. Uh, that's probably your best bet than us running through it all over again. And it's July 4th, 5th, and 6th. Yep. It's a three-day event. Okay. So, uh, then in the States... There's uh, the Bay Area Open on July 26th and 27th. Yeah, it's one of the larger West Coast uh, events. It's going to be interesting because it's... I think the biggest 7th Ed uh, event for 40K yet. Uh, they're running two events. They're running a, a sort of an unbound. Well, I think I think there still is rules. They're not running unbound. I think you still only can select one four-sword chart in addition to your primary. Uh, but they're also running a fun 
event, they call it, where it's going to be their own rules imposed on the main uh, rulebook. And I'm not sure what they're all doing for that. I know they're doing their 2 plus rollable debuff, that kind of thing, but you'd have to check out their uh, page, which is frontlinegaming.org. Should, should be a good way to check out some of the differences between, like, completely unrestrained 40k and, uh, yeah, the way more... I don't, know, I don't want to use the word comped, because I don't think it really... I can't remember what they called it. It was something but... like the fun format, which is, I think, maybe... Maybe a little far, but... I, I can't remember off the top of my head. It might not be that. But yeah, it, it will be definitely be interesting to see how some of these proposed tweaks play out. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I have been to an event like that before where they have had the separate tracks, the hyper-competitive and the more reasonable or comped side. And it has gone really well because the people that went there for either just the fun and fluff of it or for that real hard competition, they got what they wanted. Well, the thing that's interesting about this one is I think there's hard competition in both. It's just whether or not you think 7th Ed is broken. Uh, <laughs> so you, if you think it's broken, you play in their comped event. And if in you their think fixed event. In their fixed event. The neutered one. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, the guys down the front line are a, really, a bunch of really good guys. They'll You'll have a blast if you go, and the weather in San Fran is usually pretty awesome. So, good times. Okay, well, I think that's it. So... Thanks for checking out this week's episode. I'm Tom. I'm Steve. And I'm Mike. And I'm Dan, and Ward is a sad little man who doesn't paint models. And I was <laughs> don't, don't forget him. You should have said something for, and Dan filling in for Ward like a newscaster or something. <laughs> but Dan's filling in for Dan. Yeah, I know. We needed a, we needed someone just a random Anyways, person. Anyways, paint your models tactically! <laughs> we needed a random person to fill in.